Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Three Point Pod. Today's guest is Claudia Dean. Claudia trained at the Royal Ballet School in London before securing a job dancing with the Royal Ballet itself, which is no small feat. After she retired, she returned to her home city in Brisbane, Australia, and established three successful businesses Claudia Dean World, Coach Me World, and Claudia Dean Collections. Our discussion dives into her leotard design thinking as well as some reflections regarding the, the way online training platforms like Coach Me World might start to change the way we access and enjoy ballet training. I really hope you enjoy. So Claudia, thank you for joining me today on the Pre-Point Pod. We're going to talk about all things leotards. So you have, I'm going to call it well, it's Claudia Dean World, but it's like an empire, really. <laughs> Claudia <laughs> Dean's Aww. leotard empire. And, you know, uh, you've been designing leotards now for how long? I've been designing leotards in 2017 because our Instagram it sort of started to gain a lot of momentum. And I had a lot of dancers from all around the world contacting me via the DMs every single day. And they would, I guess, just sort of let me know what was missing and what they actually wanted to wear to class every single day. And that was really, I guess, my motivator because I thought, you know what, if there's so many dancers asking me to create and design leotards in specific colours, in specific sizes, in specific styles, then this is my calling. And that's exactly why I started. Did you feel um, that you had a lot of choice when you were dancing? Definitely not, actually. I remember as the years went on, when I was probably about 13, 14, 15, I did notice there were more like colour varieties and, you know, style choices. But actually in my earlier years, I found that it was really just, you know, the basic colours like black, navy, grey. And that's all they'd really be. And I guess like thinking about what you'd wear to class, you didn't really think that you could wear like, you know, a gorgeous red or a nice plum color. Like it was really just the basic colors. So yeah, I think definitely that world has evolved as time has gone on for sure. Mm. And so you actually have done, I think a YouTube review where you Mm. review, was it on YouTube? I think it was. Yeah, um, it was on YouTube. Uniforms, yeah, from from all of the prestigious ballet schools, you know. And, yeah. and I found that really interesting, the way that you went through and critiqued different aspects of the style because I'd never really thought about leotards, you know, in that way before. Yeah. Um, and talking about how different cuts and different colours can suit different people. And I guess 
really when you're looking at yourself in front of a mirror all day, every day, mm. that can really, you know, play into how a dancer feels about themselves in the studio sure. too. Mm. Definitely. I sort of experienced that whole uniform journey in my full-time years on the Gold Coast at one of my first full-time schools. And I remember my teacher picking a really flattering leotard actually, but I didn't love the colour of it. It was like this ice blue colour and it was it was just one of those colours that showed everything. So <laughs> it was sort of, you know, it wasn't my favourite colour, I guess, but I did really love the style and that really made me feel confident. But then straight after that, I went to the Royal Ballet School and as you guys would know, they're, you know, renowned for their cap sleeve leotards in, you know, very iconic colours. And I remember there were a lot of white lodge dancers who were at obviously the lower part of the Royal Ballet School, like the lower school. And they were sort of saying, oh, you know, you're going to have to get used to these uniforms, like the cap sleeves. And they were sort of dreading it because they'd been wearing uniforms for years. But I was quite excited because I'd only experienced, you know, one uniform before. So I was really excited to get into, you know, a new type of uniform. And yeah, at the Royal Ballet School, I actually really liked that cut of leotard. I found like it was still quite high cut. So, you know, it made our legs look longer. And I thought the cap sleeve actually flattered everyone really nicely. So I was I was quite happy wearing that leotard. But I've definitely, you know, seen some other schools where they put their students in probably the most not flat, flattering leotards out there. But, you know, that happens. And so let's talk about colours and yeah. thickness of fabric. So I know when you review your own styles and, and people ask questions about them, you're, you always talk about, you know, the thickness and of the, of the leotard and, and the, the colour and the cut. So what sort of things, you know, when we're talking about leotards that are for like 12, 13, 14, 15, mm. you know, well, really everyone because your leotards are designed for everyone, but particularly yeah. in adolescence, like, what are those things that you're thinking about, you know, when you're designing leotards? Sure. Actually, it's funny you ask that because I was literally just picking fabrics, like just then. I'm going through every single one because I get sent like, you know, hundreds of different swatches of leotard fabric. And my biggest number one goal is to always have the right amount of thickness, but it also has to have the right amount of stretch. So you can have a really thick, beautiful, soft fabric, but then if it doesn't stretch in the right way, it's obviously not going to be great for ballet class because you're moving so much. You want to feel like you can move freely in a leotard. So um, that also goes for mesh. So we obviously use a lot of laces and meshes. And if I find that there is a mesh that's quite restricting or if there's a lace that's quite restricting, it doesn't mean that I can't use it, but it would then only be used for little um, inserts on a leotard. Like maybe there's a little mesh detail at the side of the leotard or a little panel at the top of the leotard. So I'm really cautious of where fabric goes depending on its stretch and its thickness but my number one goal is to always have very thick fabric that is very breathable yet it still stretches because I know that's what dancers want <laughs> it's, it's what I would have wanted you know it's what I would yeah. have wanted back in the day so I guess I always just go back and think okay when I was 14 what type of thing did I want to wear and it was a fabric that was definitely going to make me feel covered and the coverage was you know really good yeah, I can remember having a leotard that was a leotard for exams and it mm. came without the straps sewn on. So the idea was that like the front strap was sewn on, I think, but then the back strap, like oh. you had to sew it on yourself so it would be the yeah. right height for your shoulders or whatever that was. Yeah, and yeah. 
And I can remember like, that's really hard to judge, you know, for a parent that might not sew, for example, like um, I think I sewed my own on because, you know, (laughs) I could, I could, like I could use a sewing machine. Um, but, but then, you know, as you grow in that year from when you're 12 to 13 to 14, (laughs) exactly, it won't work. (laughs) It just didn't, it didn't really work. No, (laughs) good idea at the time, but yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So it's probably a good, a good time now to ask Mm. about like, what were some of the experiences that you had with uniforms or leotards that weren't so good? Have you ever had any leotard disasters? (laughs) Um, do you know what, like. I would say if I had to critique um, my leotard experiences as uniforms in the past, like I would say talking about thickness of fabric, like the Royal Ballet School ones, I remember they weren't lined. And when I created my leotard brand, one of my biggest goals was to make sure that the leotards, every single leotard was fully lined front and back. A lot of (laughs) um, dancewear brands, they actually – um, don't do this like they don't line their leotards purely because it does save on costs so lining any type of embellishment any lace any fabric any you know adjustable straps or any little detail any silicon logo it all costs money and it all adds up mm. but for me because I know what dancers want um, I'm willing to put down that extra cost to make sure I'm giving a garment to dancers that make them feel confident and that means the leotards they have to be lined both front and back. So I remember the Royal Ballet School leotards. I won't mention the brand they were, but they weren't lined nor front or back. So, <laughs> oh, no. so as the grades got like older at the Royal Ballet School, the leotards got darker, which I was, mm. you know, a little bit thankful for. But, you know, in those first initial years, in my first year, I do remember the leotard being like this lilac-y purple colour. Um, and you could definitely, you could see everything, you know. Um, so I would say that would probably be, you know, one of, it wasn't a disaster, but it was definitely not my, um, you know, favorite thing about those leotards, but what made them better was I really loved the cut of the leotards. So that sort of made up for the no lining. <laughs> yeah. And so what about things like perspiration? Cause I know, you know, some leotards and some active wear, like it's really mm-hmm. easy to see perspiration through some of some fabric. So what are your thoughts? on that yeah like is it good to see a dancer sweat or not yeah (laughs) well actually this is interesting topic because there's definitely no fabric out there that is sweat resistant you know if any anyone tries to tell you that their fabric is sweat resistant they're lying because that doesn't exist so you are going to definitely still be able to see you know your sweat here and there depending on how much you sweat but what will change that is definitely the thickness of the fabric and things like adding in lining so obviously your sweat is going to hit the lining first so you know if you do have the lining there you're probably not going to see as many sweat marks um other things to consider if you do like sweat a lot because I know as I got older I definitely started to sweat more is you know picking styles where maybe you won't be able to see the sweat as much like obviously a cap sleeve style you're definitely going to be able to see um sweat more but you know a camisole Mm. style most likely you won't see as much because obviously it's not sort of coming right underneath your armpit so I would say for sure, you know, sweat is definitely a thing, but I actually quite admire when I see dancers sweating in a leotard, like I don't want to sound gross or anything, but I actually think it's a good (laughs) thing to sweat, you know, like even when people are working out, like I think it should be something that's like celebrated, like you're sweating because you're working hard, you know, I think it's actually a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it does go both ways. I think 
it helps people appreciate the athleticism of dancers, which is something that exactly you know, um, it's easily forgotten sometimes. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Going, they make it going, look easy. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> and so you know, you're you're telling us earlier about the way that people from all over the world would be contacting you, asking you to mm. design leotards, and obviously you sell leotards now. You know, worldwide, mm. there are people in all sorts of um, interesting places buying your garments, and yeah. So you know, in in that, you've kind of created well, you've created Cordiadine World, like you've mm. created this amazing online community. And really it's all about, you know, working working hard to achieve goals and being accountable for that. And, mm. you know, you yourself have experienced the world, like you've yeah. been overseas, you've danced, you know, a lot of dancers listening to this podcast would be aspiring to do that. And yeah. I guess what are your thoughts on the, on the importance of creating like dance communities worldwide, not just, you know, in our little bubbles because it's very easy yeah. sometimes to get stuck in our little bubble. So, what, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, of course. I'm really big on it because I remember when I was dancing, you know, Instagram wasn't really a huge thing. Um, and then obviously when I came back, I retired from dance and, you know, I started Cordidine World, which has now turned into my businesses, which, you know, it wasn't really the intention, but it definitely has evolved into that. But I remember thinking to myself, like when I was always uploading videos of different dancers and getting dancers involved for photo shoots and getting dancers, like sending them my products and then getting them to wear it and, you know, share about it and talk about it to their community. I remember thinking like, this is definitely something special because I can feel that there's like, this positivity bubble that we have that is so just encouraging and uplifting for anyone that wants to be a part of it. And I just remember the dance world before that, when I was dancing, it didn't have that element. It was actually very competitive. And sometimes I think dance can actually be quite, I don't want to say the word selfish, but it is more of like a selfish sport because you're, you know, constantly just dancing by yourself, you know, doing your solos, unless, you know, you're doing some partner work or group work and whatnot but I remember it having definitely that stigma about it and I really feel like over the years we've definitely created like a community that does encourage anyone and anyone that does want to just simply have fun when they dance and that was always one of my um, biggest goals and it's definitely become my biggest goal since creating what we have done so that dancers that are in South Africa or dancers that are in Japan you know they might be at home in lockdown trying to stay motivated they still feel like they're a part of something that's really important to me Mm. and with COVID and you know people are in lockdown left right and center you know at Mm. the moment and and I guess you know the timing of your of your platform launch you Mm. know it was a little bit strategic in that but it also was a little bit coincidental, really. And I think it, it you know, are, are you surprised at how engaged people have become? Yeah, yeah tell I some think, stories. Yeah, I think I think I am because, um, as I said, when I started, I never imagined that I would be creating leotards or creating a platform. I sort of just started it because I love private coaching. So to see it sort of grow each day is really actually amazing to watch. Yeah. I think now because it has become such a positive environment, then also in the same token, I'm not as surprised because I think again, because the dance world does have that stigma where it is highly competitive. You know, if there is a community that is really positive about dance and ballet, then I think it definitely does it definitely does make it a place that people want to engage with. So, you know, even just 
every single day, like I wake up and, you know, I want to film, I want to share my tips, I want to share corrections, I want to share drills and just anything that I have knowledge wise, I want to pass that on. And I think definitely previously before doing what we do, like people sharing tips wasn't really like a done thing. Most people would just kind of keep it to themselves and go, oh no, I know that special exercise. I'm going to keep it to myself because I want to get a higher arabesque. I don't want everyone to know about it. Whereas I think I've definitely changed that stigma in a way. Like I've definitely made it obvious that, you know, I want everyone to improve. It's not just certain people. I think everyone deserves the opportunity to be better. Um, And I think over the years, sharing so much of my knowledge, not even just about exercises, even about, you know, your um, mental health in dance too. Just so many different topics that I talk about. I can see why people want to listen and why they want to, you know, watch our content and engage with it. Mm, absolutely. And I notice you're starting to um, ask, you know, guests, you know, guest coaches to join. Mm. I mean, that's, that's really telling in itself, you know, that you, that what, you know, it's starting to get people thinking in that way or people who maybe already thought in that way are now engaging and they, they have somewhere to contribute to as well. Yeah. It's really, yeah. it's quite amazing. We really yeah. love like, you know, bringing, I guess, all different coaches from here, there and everywhere. Um, we love to get them all involved because I think um, every single coach, every single teacher, anyone that's, you know, an instructor in the dance world, I feel like they've always got something to give and I can't give everything. So I feel like, you know, even having Louise on there or Sam Dominic doing lyrical or Dr. Lisa doing jazz drills, like, you know, I can't give that. And I think it's really important that I want to give everything I can to dancers. So that means I have other professionals come in and they give their expert knowledge in that field. So I'm really passionate about doing that too. Yeah. And I think that's really, it's interesting too, because, you know, you have a ballet background and yet, Mm. you know, there's still this recognition that, you know, people who are experts in other styles of dance, you know, they can contribute something to your platform. What does that say, do you think, about the need for, um, for building diverse dances for the future. I mean, you know, not everyone can just be good at ballet. And I think for myself, Mm. I regret maybe not branching out a little bit more. I don't know whether you do as well. I'm not really sure. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I actually think that's a really good point. I think um, from a young age, I was so, you know, just wanted to do ballet. But as the years went on, I think I definitely realised the importance of Um, and how important it was that I did do jazz, tap, lyrical, song and dance. Like I did all of it up until I was 15 because I think nowadays kids younger and younger, they're getting just hyper-focused on one thing and I'm always encouraging them like, you know, no, keep up your jazz, like keep doing lyrical, keep doing this, keep doing that because you just never know what the future holds. Like, you know, so many things can change. Like if someone told me when I was at the you know peak of my career at the Royal Ballet, if someone said, oh, in one year's time, you're going to quit and you're going to then start a business and you'll be coaching and you'll be doing all these things in Australia, I would have said absolutely not. You know, like, mm. and that's that's what I mean. I think you have to keep your options open and that's just not in ballet and in dance. That's just in general life. Like, you know, you've got you to have all your doors open and be willing to take on anything. Yeah. That's interesting, you know, what you mentioned about keeping doors open. And Mm. I'll quite often have conversations with my patients about, you know, how young is too young to start full time and, you know, um, how to fit schooling in with with dancing. Because I think, you know, without sugarcoating anything, like you do have to train for for many, many hours each week, really, when you get to that, that, you know, really advanced level. That's the reality, you know. 
So what sort of things have you observed, you know, and and you might reflect on your Mm. own experiences, but like, what is the best way in your view, Mm. you know, how old, how, what do you think, how old to go full time and what, what about school? Like, what do we do about school? Yeah, I would say that I think you should stay in school for as long as you physically can until something happens that makes you go, okay, I almost need to drop this or change this. So I'll give you a quick example. So basically mm. I can really only talk from my experience. That's why mm. I keep talking about my journey because that's all I really know. But I've definitely seen things happen over the years that I'll also, you know, delve into as well. So mm. I went full-time when I was 15 and I was doing distance education up until I was 16, 17. So that means I actually never finished grade 12, which I'm not proud of. But the only reason why I couldn't is because back then... <laughs> Back in my day, when I decided <laughs> when I decided to go to the Royal Ballet School, there wasn't things like it sounds odd, but the internet, right? It's just evolved so much. So yeah. everyone just does their online schooling like via a computer, right? I didn't even take a laptop to London. Like that, that just wasn't a thing. So mm. they basically the distance education, they contacted my parents and they said, look, your daughter wants to go to London. And you know, you obviously want her to go to London too. But that means we're gonna have to send all of her schooling um, you know, via paperwork. So she's gonna receive big boxes of paperwork that she's gonna have to do. And that's that'll be her schooling she'll have to do. And I remember my mum saying to me, Claudia, like, we're going to have to send these big boxes to you like every Mm. single week. Like, you know, is is that okay with you? And I'm like, yeah, if I have to do it. But then I remember the school came back to mum and they said, actually, we've spoken about it more. We've never done this before and we actually aren't willing to do it. So in the end, the school basically said like they couldn't kind of support that. So Mm. then we contacted the Royal Ballet School and we said, okay, well, what can we do? Because Claudia can't finish her schooling in Australia. So is there anything that she can do Um, via your schooling and because the schoolings are totally different there wasn't Mm. basically all I could do was um, this one subject that was definitely not you know sufficient really um, looking back on it but that's all I really could complete at the time Um, and that's all they could offer because things weren't online like they are right now Um, so anyway I, I wasn't overly proud that I didn't get to finish grade 12 but I guess I did what I did in my circumstance and I guess that's all I could kind of manage at the time but then you know looking back and kind of seeing what kids are doing now I think stay in school as long as you can it's like what I said before things change and I think quite often we can get so focused on I want to be a ballerina but sometimes you just don't know what things hold you might get injured your interests might change things might pop up you know someone really important to you might pass away like things honestly they they can happen in life and I think if you Um, have your schooling behind you it really does mean you've got more to fall back on later on and it's just very lucky that I'm able to do what I do now today and I haven't needed yeah I haven't needed to fall back on that if that makes sense Mm. but um, I my recommendation always is to stay in school as long as you can um, and to go full-time as late as you can so I would recommend like you know 16 even people going full-time you know 12 13 I don't think it leads to anything good personally. I think mm. it just leads to a burnout. And I've seen it now in more recent years. I've definitely seen kids burn out, the ones that did start earlier. Um, mm. So, and I find that quite sad, you know. So I think it's very different from my experiences. Like my my parents mm. are both teachers and so they were adamant that I had to finish year 12. Um, yeah. But, you know, it doesn't sound to me like that was your choice either. It sounds like that was more the circumstance and that the technology that 
we had. And this is what exactly which year was 2000 and what? 2008. Yeah. yeah. 2008, 2009. Yeah. Not so even that long ago. ago. <laughs> I know, I know. It was a while ago, but I feel like Maybe in that time so much so much has changed though. Like yeah. so much has evolved. Like Facebook had just started, Instagram was just a thing maybe or it hadn't even started yet. Like it's it's crazy to see the world we live in now. And you know mm. another thing too, Louise, like my 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 parents come from business backgrounds. So my mum owned businesses her whole life and my dad mm. also owned businesses his whole life in real estate. So and you know how your your parents were teachers. So I think as well it also comes from what's important to yeah. you as a parent for your child. Like, you know, obviously my parents knew getting my, you know, academic grade 12 and all that, that was important to them. But also because they ran businesses their whole life, I think they kind of knew the power of me chasing my passion and what mm. I believed was going to be what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think, you know, the skills that you need for your business may not require like specific, you know, if you're designing leotards, that's not something you necessarily learn how to do at school anyway. It's (laughs) almost like to quote Beyonce, the school of life, you know. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Oh dear. Um, Yeah. So, and so you've, can I, can I ask some questions Mm. about um, Lachlan? Because yeah. he obviously is a huge, big part of your business. So Lachlan's my partner, for those of you that don't mm-hmm. know. And he used to be a plumber. So he's been in trades his whole life. Um, mm. But um, I guess Claudia Dean World got to a point where, you know, I really needed extra hands because it was Simona, my sister, and myself running it. And um, it just got to a point two or three years ago. And I said to Locks, I was like, you know, seriously, there's enough work for you to honestly quit your trade and we can just like focus on the business. And he, I mean, it wasn't that he wasn't happy doing trade work, but I think he'd be doing it for about eight years. So he sort of thought, you know what, why not? Like, I'm going to go into business, like, let's do this. So we did it. And basically Lachlan runs the whole logistical side of our business. So dealing with our wholesalers, dealing with shipping. Um, at the moment, actually, though, he's kind of going back into the trades because he's renovating our entire yeah. new studio. So, you know, he just does so much logistical work for our business. And um, it's definitely safe to say, you know, I couldn't run it without him. It might look like I'm doing all the work, but I'm definitely not. <laughs> I have a lot of help. <laughs> it's a real, it is a real family effort in that sense. And and you're all so close-knit. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing, I have to say. You know, yeah. and I think that's a good example of, of you know, using experiences and passion to achieve something really interesting too. So, and I think, yeah. you know, it's worthwhile talking about some of the qualities in a person that dance mm. can foster. So what are, what are the things that you think dance has taught you, you know, in oh, terms that's of a very, that's a good life question. lessons? <laughs> yeah, I would say um, determination is number one and the mm. hard work and like the work ethic I have, obviously, like, you know, for my business, some nights I'll be up literally until midnight, you know, making sure things are perfect. I'll be looking at fabrics, driving back to the studio at nine o'clock at night, just doing Mm. things that I know a lot of people probably wouldn't want to do, you know, but then to me, it's worth it to me. Like I love what I do. So I wouldn't trade that for the world. And I think also, you know, um, dance, like I think in general, even one of our other staff members, Ayla, she was also an ex-dancer. And just, again, like her work ethic is just like so admirable. So um, so I would definitely say that dance gives most people the work ethic and the determination just in general. It's not just in dance. I feel like they get that 
and they pass it through all facets of their life, you know. So for me, um, running businesses and having my work ethic, you know, I'll have to drive back to the studio at nine o'clock at night, come back, I'll be picking fabrics at midnight, I'll be, you know, just doing things that I guess maybe people probably wouldn't want to do at all hours of the morning and the night, the day. Mm. Um, but because I love it, that's, you know, what I do. And mm. and I would just say in general, I just think dance, it just gives people not only, you know, the beautiful poise and the posture, but I think it just gives you personality traits that are really admirable to most mm. people. So um, for me, it would be hard work and determination for sure. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And I guess that's, you know, you, you can harness the power of those qualities for anything really to achieve. Exactly. Yeah. I think that 100%. might be a good place to um, to finish up, Cordia. Yeah, <laughs> you probably have good. a lot to do today. But before <laughs> I go, I, I'm asking all of my guests on the Prepoint yeah. Pod because obviously the idea of the Prepoint Physio, as well as you know, um, uh, assessing people for their point readiness and you know, celebrating yeah. the magic of point shoes. What yeah. what is your what are your favorite pair of point shoes? What have been what what are your signature? signature yeah. pair of point shoes well you know what I definitely tried a few in my lifetime I would say when I was a student I was wearing block heritage and then I switched to gainors when I was in the company and then I went back to block heritage and then now actually for filming a lot of the time I'm wearing energetics so um it's sort of changed over the years I think because as time goes on you know my foot's changed and also mm. my needs for what I need my point shoes for has also changed too so um yeah they're pretty much the ones that I I loved cool and so the difference between you're talking about needs so like mm. the the work that you were doing in your gainors for example yeah. versus the work you're now doing in your energetics so how oh, is yeah. that different how is it different just yeah, so, so now, for example, obviously, you know, I'm not professionally dancing anymore. So when I have to dance, I'm only doing filming. So I'm pretty much um, either filming a tutorial or I might be just taking a photo or I might be filming a quick exercise in point shoes. So um, definitely like I'm only wearing them for maximum like half an hour at a time. So um, I really like something now that's just, I guess, something I can just put on and my foot looks good. And I find that this particular energetics pair, they do that for me. So um, that's why I'm wearing them at the moment. Cool. And so how is that different, obviously, to the what the work that you were doing in your gainors? Oh, yes. Explain, so <laughs> explain to us. How long would a pair last and what yeah. would you get out of them? Mm. Well, when I was wearing Gaynors, they lasted definitely longer than my heritage block ones. So mm. the Gaynor Minden ones, I was obviously dancing every single night, you know, doing all different shows. So um, those shows would be three hours long. Um, then I'd also have back-to-back -back rehearsals during the day as well. Um, I was dancing, you know, six days a week. It was full on. I, I'd love to add up how many hours I was doing it, but I definitely had very blistered feet and the workload was <laughs> intense. Um, so I was doing that. And I found though in the company, because you obviously don't have to buy your shoes, they mm. um, were always saying like, you can go through as many as you want. And we we're very lucky at the Royal Ballet. They just used to have this cubby hole for us with our name on it. And you could just take point shoes whenever you wanted. So um, I was going through a pair when I was wearing Block Heritage, I was going through a pair I would say every two, three days. And yeah. then um, when I was wearing Gaynors, they would last a lot longer. But even those, I was only wearing them for like two weeks at a time than getting a new pair. 
Wow. Yep. Yeah. And that's amazing. I think it's good to to put into perspective the different needs of a dancer at different times oh, yeah. and what they're what they, you know, how quickly shoes can last or not last and yeah. what different sort of types of shoes, like the role that they can serve. Amazing. Exactly. Thank you so much for your time today. Anytime. <laughs> Thank you so much for Been having a really good discussion. Pod. Thank Loved you. It. <laughs> See you soon. See you, Louise. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.